Hey everyone, welcome to Seeking What They Sought, a podcast where four of us friends just incessantly attack each other because we love each other. Now, we're about to start an episode series. It's going to be about four episodes where we talk about Adventist church structure. This is by no means an in-depth dive into Adventist structure, but we did want to get some perspective on what does a conference do in a union and division and up to the GC. And so this first episode is an interview with my conference president, Doug Bing of the Washington Conference. And he'll be kind of talking about what a conference does, some of the difficulties of leadership in the context of being a conference president. And we hope that you uh, kind of gain a little bit more insight into what a conference does. So let's get to it. everyone. Good to be with you guys today. Uh, we are having a uh, conference president with us today named Doug Bing. Doug Bing is actually the guy who hired me on at the Washington conference when he was the vice president. He is the one who interviewed me. Um, and apparently, I guess I guess I did okay because I'm, I'm here today. So, uh, But then also we have Sean and Anthony who both of their fathers also pastored in the Washington conference while, while you, Doug, were in uh, uh, administration. That's correct. Um, and so... So I I'd asked this uh, before, but I you know no dirt to share on them I guess. Not not just two two good young men very who good. never ever made a mistake in their entire life. Is well, that what I'm hearing? I didn't say that. I just said they're very good young men. <laughs> okay, well that's uh that's that's good to hear. I'm I am disappointed. I always look for dirt on especially Sean. But um, <laughs> so one of the reasons we're doing this this uh, this series is because a lot of us don't have um, a good idea of what our governance structure is in the in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. The uh, overall structure is you know you can kind of understand there's local church, conference, unions, divisions, and then uh, the general conference, but. Uh, you know, what happens at a lot of those levels is not necessarily common knowledge in essence. And so we are, uh, we're doing this series to, to educate, uh, ourselves on uh, ourselves as, as pastors and, and, uh, and, and, uh, teachers here, but also anyone who's listening on what happens at those levels, what happens in the dark offices where all of the sketchy, you know, the, the things, all the rumors that we create happen, um, which I'm sure you've had your fair share of, uh, of those things, those accusations leveled at you. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, so that's why we're having this conversation. And so we wanted to bring Doug in, who is, uh, again, he's my conference president now. Um, and so the first thing I wanted to ask you, Doug, is tell us a little bit about your journey from uh, from from kind of maybe the beginning of pastoring into uh, conference leadership. Sure. Uh, I, you know, when I graduated from college, I went straight to seminary. Uh, the conference who uh, hired me uh, sponsored me directly to the seminary. So I I did not get some of the uh, previous times that people do before they go to seminary. So I went straight to seminary. Upon graduation, I went to uh, the Midwest where I was sponsored by the Kansas-Nebraska Conference. Um, served in Omaha, Nebraska for as a youth and young adult pastor and associate pastor in one of the larger churches there. And um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, interestingly enough, I was told by the conference president at that time that I was going to uh, be assigned to Western Nebraska in a, in a two or a three church district. I can't remember which it was. Mm. Um, 
And that's where I was going to be assigned once I finished uh, my time in Omaha, Nebraska. And typically at that time, you spent a year as an intern and then you went straight into a district of some kind. Um, but in the process of all of that, the conference president changed. And, um, and so I never made it to Western Nebraska. Instead, right after that, I became an academy pastor um, and um, started teaching Bible, running the academy programs, the youth chaplaincy, uh, the chaplaincy of the school, and um, went from there to another church. I had pastored some churches, I guess, while I was in high school, high school, college. <laughs> and um, yeah, that would have been really amazing. If I'd been in high, yeah, school. high school, a high school age pastor. That would yeah, be that something. Would, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Um, but anyway, and then after that, I pastored for quite a few years in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, that's where I had my experience of planting a church and working with associate pastors. And and uh, I've uh, I've joked a lot about it that they that they succeeded, and especially the ones I had at first. You know, they succeeded in spite of me um, <laughs> because uh, you know I, there's not a lot of training for senior pastors to uh, all of a sudden be thrown in with an associate pastor. And, uh, <laughs> So anyway, from there, I, you know, I just in the networking I did and the church planting networks that I did, uh, I know that one of my friends had ended up recommending me a number of times to serve in a conference office as a ministerial director. Um, I turned those positions down and uh, one place was off, was looking at me as an executive secretary or a vice president and turned that one down as well was told, interesting enough, you guys might like this, I was told by one person that I should never turn this down because I would never have another chance to serve in a conference office again. Oh. I know my wife and I said, well, I'm not sure that I ever want to serve in a conference office. And as if, as, as if that's some, you know, like that yeah. to be attained and, and uh, you know, and it's not that it's not that you should avoid it, but it wasn't necessarily something at that point that, you know, if God wants me to do there, he'll put me there kind of thing. And um yeah. So um, anyway, and then I ended up coming out here as ministerial director and uh, moved from there into uh, vice president and then from there to to this position. So that's the short version or maybe the long version. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I, 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 you said this before, but um, you taught for a little while and I believe your wife was a was a teacher as well, wasn't she? Correct. That's so. What what it what would you, what advice do you have for Sean? Is a teacher, but I I don't have All much Jesse, faith that the kids are learning anything <laughs> there. So could you give Sean some advice on how to be a teacher? Well, you know, Sean teaches is is Sean actually has the training to be a teacher. I was thrown in in the middle of the year when I became a teacher. I was thrown in to teach Academy Bible, hmm. sophomore Bible. Only taught one class a day, um, one section of that class. So I'm not sure I would ever call myself an expert. Um, I do know that, um, you know, I ask lots of questions. I, 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 uh, list, learn to listen a lot. Um, I tried to boil it down to simplicity, simplicity, uh, in regards to the gospel. Um, because I think sometimes kids come away from academy or even any kind of place where it's made way too complicated. And I tried to make it as mm. simple as possible and gospel focused. So that's what I tried to do. It's so. awesome. So Sean, take all that to heart. Hey, Jesse, for, for our audience, full disclosure, Jesse was failing to record our first time through with Doug. And uh, <laughs> Doug, Doug is already Sean. thinking of ways that he can relocate Sean, Jesse up. after this recording. <laughs> Got him. Got uh, him. So uh, just, just throwing that out there, Jesse. I, I love you. We might add a few more churches to his two church district. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, we were talking no, about Put him in a school. Put him in a school. <laughs> there we go. Bible there teacher. We go. 
teaching, teaching oh, full time like Sean does. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. That would uh that that would not be the intersection of all of my talents and all of my gifts. Oh, how the tables um, have turned. <laughs> so, Doug, I I think I you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um yeah, you never aspired necessarily to be a. Con- I mean, I know if, I know there are some people who kind of have a level of um. Uh, what's the word for it? They they, they want to move ambition. upwards in a, in a yeah ambition. That's the word. They have a level of ambition, and so they become a pastor. I've heard of at least a couple of people that I know of that are like, yeah, like I would love to be in, in administration someday. Were you like that at all? Well, you know, at certain stages that you know, like I mentioned, I really wasn't at that time, and and uh, when I was asked the first um, uh, first several times about it, I really wasn't at that stage. Um, you know, part of my background is I do. Um, I do have a degree in business, and uh, there was a time when I when I truly aspired not to be a pastor, but I wanted to be a hospital administrator. Mm. And so I do have that aspiration from my past, and uh, I really that was the path I was really headed down when I was in college was to be a hospital administrator. I ended up getting a double degree, and I have a degree in theology, and I had to do the Greek thing and all that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> and and, uh, and so I I've always had an interest in that area. But frankly, you know, in the era that I was raised, when you first started becoming a pastor, you were told you don't ever tell people your aspirations. And so um, I've kind of tried to be the opposite. I've tried, I've asked pastors openly, you know, hey, what do you, what do you want to do? Well, you know, I'll, let's help you to figure out how to get there, you know? Mm. And I'm, I'm, you know, if you want my job, uh, tell me now, and I will give you all the, all the training I can get so that you can have the job, you know, and that, I'm okay with that. Because I think we all have to hold jobs loosely. As you know, it's not mm, like we yeah. or anything like that. So there was a time when I think I was interested in administration. Was I actually actively pursuing it? I I don't think I ever really did that. Uh, and um, but just because of my background, I did have um, an interest in those kinds of things. So. So the lesson, kids, is don't try, and someday you will. You too will be a conference president. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Um, I do, I do, what are, what are so, if I could say some more, I do believe it's good for those. It's okay for, for somebody to say that because even if you never make it, mm. you know, somebody might invest in you to give you leadership skills that might help you in whatever other job you're doing. And I do believe, you know, I was really grateful for the people who, who helped me along the path because I think we all stand on somebody else's shoulders. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So what what were some of the biggest surprises or just things you didn't know? You were a pastor, you know, you would, you were coming in now to be a ministerial director in a conference. Uh, what were what were some of the things that surprised you in joining a conference leadership? Well, you know, I I guess I had lived a charmed life beforehand, you know, and uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, you hear about all these rumors and stuff like that. I um I guess I just was pastoring really hard in my church and I didn't ever hear anything. And I remember the first two or three meetings I went to in troubled churches uh, as a ministerial director, I'm like, I can't believe this is actually happening. I mean, I was like, (laughs) I think I was just as naive as they come in some respects, just to be honest with you, gentlemen. Uh, And so there was some, there was some tough uh, things that, um, you know, I'd seen tough stuff in church members, you know, you have church members that get into a fight or you, you have those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, some, some things that I saw that were either done by pastors or, um, or done to pastors um, that uh, were troubling, you know, and it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. You know, I think within the first, yeah. uh, first uh, year, 
you know, I saw, you know, I mean, it's not a, it's not a huge secret in the Washington Conference. I saw a number of pastors lose their positions because of, of issues that they had been involved in. And it was really hard. Wow. It was hard to watch. Now, so you you came into conference leadership as a ministerial director, became vice president, spent a, quite a long time doing that. You said, I think, 14, 15 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Was it? Yeah. 15. Um, so as as vice president, um, what's the difference between vice president, president for in your experience? Yeah, um, that's a good question. You know, I'll even go one step further in, the, in what's the difference between a ministerial director and a, and a vice president. And I, I kind of joke that uh, when you're ministerial director, you get to be the good cop. And when you're the vice president, you get to be the bad cop. You know, and <laughs> that's, that's probably a very overgeneralization, just to be honest with you. But but in some respects, it's based the way that the way it's organized in this conference and ministerial directors from conference to conference are done a little bit different. But in this conference, the ministerial director is it gets to be the good cop and uh, the, the, the executive secretary or vice president, whatever they call it here, uh, they call it vice president here, but you kind of have to come in and, and uh, be a little bit more of the heavy, so to speak, you know. And so the ministerial director is kind of like the pastor of the pastors and making sure they're doing okay, caring for them. Right. And then the, the vice president, you're kind of more on the hiring job. I, I don't know if I would say job performance, but more so like the, the, uh, uh, nuts and bolts side of things. Maybe yeah. is that, would that be true? Yeah. The, the vice president administration, basically, you know, if you read the job description and you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it deals with the hiring. It does deal with job performance. It deals with, uh, you know, from the pastoral side, you deal with all of the um, um, minute taking, all the legal aspects of, uh, of running a conference, you know, those kinds of things. The difference between that and, and the president is the president is really more in charge of, uh, he's in charge of the whole thing, of course, but, uh, you know, he's really focused on, on vision. He's really focused on, um, you know, driving the vision of the, of the conference and, you uh, those kind of things and that's in broad strokes but uh mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of committees that both of those gentlemen both of those positions sit on whereas you don't have to do it so much in the ministerial director part but there's a lot of committees that are oversight committees that uh, we sit on and um but one of them is more of the chair of the committee that drives the vision part of it and the other one is more of the uh okay the committee is met now let's go make sure it happens kind of thing gotcha okay so so I'm a I'm just a, a, a average person, local church. What in the world does a conference do? Like what is, what is what is a conference? Therefore, you know why why does it exist uh, in, in practice? Sure. Well, you know the Adventist Church is organized in a conference setting, whereas you know many churches are what the what's called congregational, and uh, you know there's there's actually advantages to both both organizational styles. Um, I am obviously in favor of the congregational style in that, you know, most congregational pastors, when you sit down and talk to them, and I've talked to them a number of times, they will tell you, man, we love the, um, we love the uh, cohesiveness that comes from being part of a, of a, of an organization and we don't have to sit there and figure things out. So just from, just from a missional point of view, I believe that a conference if I were to say, what does a conference do? I think the first thing is, is we make sure that we, we well, we try to, I'll say it that way. Let's be honest. You know, it's uh, sometimes it's like herding cats a little bit, but uh, um, you know, I think that the real focus is say, is we're gonna focus on the mission of the church, which is to share the gospel uh, to all the world. And our world, you know, in, in the Bible, it talks about, you know, you start in your Jerusalem and then you go to your Samaria and stuff like that. 
well, you know, so, so many times we've been willing to go to Samaria or to the uttermost parts of the earth, and we forget to start in our own Jerusalem. And, uh, and so I think that that's the role of the conference is to say, what is, uh, you know, where's the next church plant going to be? I mean, you know, I pray right now for three new church plants in 2021. And, and last year we played for, prayed for three and we, I prayed for four, we got three, you know? And uh, so we set goals like that. And we really look for the strategies of, of how are we going to grow the church? We also look, frankly, at the other end of the spectrum as to a church that's not doing well. And how can we, um, A, uh, you know, prop it up if it needs to be propped up or do what we need to do, you know, whether, whatever that may take. Uh, and sometimes you end up closing churches because of you don't want to you don't want to you want to be faithful to God's resources in regards to those kind of things. So I think that's the first thing. And of course, there's always the legal entities of it. You know, and we could, you know, we could drone on and on about that. But, you know, we do hold we do hold title to everything, um, which sometimes is aggravating to some people, to be honest. But when it comes down, when you say you hold legal title, you mean like to church property or school properties or things yeah. like that? Yeah. We why does why is that? Ag why is that aggravating to people? Well, because sometimes they want to do things to uh, to their property that uh, we end up saying no, you know. And <laughs> oh, gotcha. And, and because sometimes you, if they look at it from a legal perspective, what they're wanting to do is actually illegal, you know, like sometimes we catch a church. It's like, look, you built this without a building permit. You know, we don't, you know, that, that's not, <laughs> not you do that, you know, and uh, we do it for their own good, but sometimes it's not, you know, always welcomed and, uh, and stuff, but, you know, so we have that. Um, I think the other issue, I and mean, when you think about the fact that Washington conference, for example, has over 500 employees, uh, most people don't think about the fact that we have over 500 employees. Uh, we have to have a very robust legal and HR department that to make sure that um, people are paid in an equitable way. Um, sometimes that can be, you know, sometimes we have churches, for example, that they want to hire an administrative assistant, for example, and they don't want to pay them on scale. You know, well, yeah. she, she doesn't need to be paid as much because she's she's retired and stuff like that. No, we want to do things that are equitable across the board and and those kinds of things. And so, you know, it's not like we'll tell them you can't pay them. I mean, you can't hire them, but, you know, you're going to pay them according to a, a, a scale that uh, makes sense to, if you're an administrative assistant in Edmonds, you're going to get the same pay as an administrative assistant with the same experience in, you know, in North Creek, you know, or whatever. So... That's that makes a lot of sense, especially because uh, I I have watched churches and have been I think I think I have been the recipient of some churches who were just like, yeah, you know, we'll just we'll just give them a gift at the you know we'll just give them a gift at some point or we'll call it that or you know what <laughs> like it's just super sketchy practices right. that uh, that then end up you know it, it's not it's not it's not a very uh, what's the word Res not only is it not responsible it's not a it's not very christ-like to to do things kind of I mean, like yeah you like look that. at what the bible says you know and i just read it just just recently you know the labor is worthy of its hire and uh yeah no i i uh i think that that's totally appropriate and then that means from the janitor and to the you know to the pastor the teacher whoever you know and you pay them uh, according to what they're what they're supposed to do and and you know some churches don't some some local entities don't always like that because they try to to skip by, but I think the conference is a, is an organization that can say we're going to have some uniformity here, in a way. And every church is allowed to to share the gospel in, in a way that works for their context, and we want that. But I think the real focus is gospel, and um, you know, sharing the gospel, and that's what we're about. But you know, that's the big thing is the vision, uh, and make sure the vision is unified. 
Um, but then also making sure that the legal aspects are, are all taken care of. And that's actually a lot bigger job than most people who wonder what's happening in our, in our dark rooms, uh, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, they wonder what's happening. But that really, there's a lot of that that goes on. Yeah. So we've, we've now, oh, yeah, sorry, go for it. I was just going to say, like you mentioned, like the we, we've joked around with that a bit. But, you know, there are areas of dissonance between the local church and conference. And that's not just in one conference. That, that can be all over the place that, we, you sure. know, I can see that in my own conference. Um, and, and I've seen it other places, too. So um, I've asked this of other people, other other conference and, and, and union leaders and, and pastors of where did that start? Where did that level of separation is is that just natural of any government structure of any for a church or for politics is it just natural for that to occur over time as you get bigger or is there a reason maybe even just in our own adventist context why there is that there there's sometimes animosity right on on subjects of where tithe is going where budget is being used on on other issues of uh, like you mentioned specifically how uh, church property is used, but you could go on and on about lists of areas of dissonance between local church um, and and the conference level. Where did that heart begin? Where did that where did that dissonance begin? Yeah, it's a good question, Sean. You know, I think that uh, sadly, part of it is a little bit in the in the in the way that um, the church has has been run. Sometimes, you know, one of our core values in the Washington Conference is uh, integrity and transparency. And, uh, you know, I tell people, you know, you want to go over the Washington Conference budget, I'll, I'll sit down and go over it with you line by line, all 58 pages of it or whatever. It's a long, long document. And um, to be honest with you, I don't think that, well, not I don't think, I know that that has not always been the case in some, in some, uh, in some conferences, maybe even in this one, I don't know. But in, in the history that I've been in this conference, working with my predecessor, um, and, uh, and stuff, we've always tried to follow a real transparency. And I've had comments from pastors, I've had comments from, from church members, uh, you know, that uh, it's like, wow, I don't know, I could just ask that and find that out. But that has not always been true. And I've experienced that. And, uh, and I've even had to apologize, because sometimes there's times when we weren't trying to be um, secretive. It's just that uh, we, we weren't always as open in communication. I think open communication really, really solves a lot of those issues because our church should not be, you know, at a local church level, if, if a local church member wants to see the local church budget, you have to, you know, technically you're supposed to get that voted through a church business meeting and, and uh, you know, that kind of thing. And you should be able to see the local church budget and know where, you know, 25 cents is budgeted for if you're going to go that small or whatever. And, uh, and so we've tried to be very transparent. The only thing we don't share openly is, is the pay, you know, what each individual person is paid. You know, and, and we'll show you the pay scale, you know, but we're not going to show you names because there's legal issues, but we're trying to be transparent about every other issue, but it has not been that way. And I'll tell you an example, because all of you are employees of the Washington Conference, not of the Washington Conference, but employees of the church, you know, something that did not happen when I was starting is, is that sometimes conferences didn't always share even what all the benefits were for their own employees. Oh, wow. wow. If they don't know about it, then they can't collect on it, you know, and that was the attitude that uh, was sometimes done. And, uh, and so when you have that kind of thing, where it's even your own employees are suspicious of you, you know, then that just kind of <laughs> spreads, you know, and I, I'm really proud of our treasury team here, for example. I mean, it's like, 
you know, we, we call people up and say, did you know you had this? Cause you haven't taken advantage of this. Mm. We want you to know that you have this. And I've, I've been on the, I've, I've heard them on the phone actually doing that to people and saying, did you know you could do this? Because we want you to have that. So, so I think it comes. Yeah, that's from, a good one. You're saying it comes from transparency. I think it comes, or it comes from with lack of transparency. transparency in the past. And, uh, and, and sadly it still happens in some places, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, this is this is kind of a, a question that starts to get into maybe some of the angst surrounding um, church governance structure. Uh, but you know, what are some of the things that are good about our overall organizational structure, and and that are that's maybe better than other church structures? You kind of mentioned congregationalist being a a potential problem, especially for people who are are being hired on, but. Um, yeah, what are some of the aspects of our organizational structure that that not as a superiority thing, but just may function better than sure than others? I, I think that well, one of the things I've already, the things I already mentioned, I think just from a legal perspective, I'll get to say the words <laughs> right. Legal perspective, um, I think are are really valuable. I think that those are issues that um, have been shown over and over again, and and we're not the first to follow a conference structure. I mean, there's other church, other denominations, that, very good denominations that have also followed it as well. And so I do think that that is something that is very very helpful. Um, you know, when we have congregational, I'm not congregational, a conference system, for example, you might have, I mean, in this conference, for example, we have pastors who, um, if they um, they have to pastor churches that don't wouldn't be able to support them financially if they were in a congregational system. Whereas you also have churches that uh, have a very good tithe return, for example, that helps support the smaller churches and grow them. We have churches, you know, for example, if you're a church planter in a non-conference system, uh, you know, there's some really good programs out there, but you have to kind of go out and raise your own money and do all this kind of stuff and, and tie onto an organization. Whereas we have churches that turn in good tithe and right now we're planting a church with, a, you know, one of our pastors in in uh, in Tacoma. We were planting on another pa a church in in Kirkland, and we're getting ready to plant another one probably starting this fall, with with funds that come in from from those kind of things. And um, the pastor doesn't have to be worried about raising the funds and you know trying to go out and hustle his own money because he's got the backing of an entire conference, which helps spread the mission of the church. So not only all the legal things that, you know, that we have a lot of attorneys that help us take care of those things, something that local employees don't always appreciate because most of them don't ever need it, uh, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, when when church members kind of go after the local teacher or they go after the local pastor, you know, for some many times for unnecessary reasons and in ways that are less than charitable, um, the conference serves as a backstop for them, and if you're in a congregational system, you're you can be you can go to church one night and go to church board the next week, and uh, you're out of a job, and uh, those kind of things just don't happen in a in a conference type of structure. Makes a lot of sense, actually. I think that's why Anthony still has his job after that whole embezzlement situation oh, that he was in. You know, the lawsuit they got filed against him, and they're standing up for you down there, Anthony. They're standing up. For you. They really are. I'm, I'm glad they're on my side. <laughs> just to just to clarify, none of that ever happened. Jesse has this, um, this running joke that I haven't been involved in embezzlement and fraud. 
<laughs> Anthony's mom just heart stopped as she was listening to this. Indeed. <laughs> She's well, I'll tell you what, whenever, when, I'll tell you a little secret. One time I was talking to a pastor. Maybe I shouldn't tell you this. There's a little rabbit trail, but I'll tell you about organization here. I, I'm ready. A guy who was, uh, who was uh, referencing one of our pastors and it was, it was one of our pastors, that, you know, most of the time I don't want to get rid of any pastors. I mean, just to be honest with you, there's occasionally time that people say, Hey, I want to leave and, and that's fine. But anyway, so this guy was a brand new ministerial director. He's calling me up and I was the VP. I was the VP at the time. And he called me up and he said, um, going through this whole, you know, standard referencing form and all this kind of stuff. And, and I said, when he got done, he goes, well, is there anything else you'd like to tell me? And I'm like, well, you know, he's a really pretty good guy with the exception of his drinking problem that he's been, you know, he's been struggling with. And, and then I said, and you know, him and his wife have been really having some fights as well. And uh, there was this really, really long pause on the other end of the phone. Cause, and the guy goes, I don't know you very well. And he says, and I know I'm brand new at this job, but he says, I think you're joking, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, yes, cause I don't want to get rid of this guy. This guy is always doing all this stuff and I don't want to get rid of him. And uh, anyway, but he actually believed me there for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and so this guy's reputation is tarnished. Yeah. So, <laughs> be careful what you say about Anthony. Cause I, you know, we don't want him to lose his job, you know? Yeah, Jesse, be careful. True, yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna get a, I'm gonna get a phone call. I'm so sorry, Anthony. I'm gonna get a phone call from Sandy. She's gonna be like, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in that, you know, we've talked about some of the good things about our organizational structure. What are some of the things that uh, you could 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 be better? I mean, that maybe sure. that list is long, but well, the list is long, and and you know, I know you, I know you've uh, interviewed uh, my good friend Elder John Friedman, and and he and I joke about this a little bit at times, in that uh, when you're in the union, you say the conferences could do away, could be could go away, and when you're in the conferences, you could say the union's going away. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have this little kind of joke that we, and so now that he's gone to the union office, I give him a hard time about those kind of things. But, but the, the, the thing of it is, I, I do believe that, uh, especially in this union, and I, I'm going to only speak for this union, most conferences in this union, I would say, run a fairly lean operation. And you, you, you know, you compare them to others, and I'm not trying to tear any other conferences down. But I'm saying we run in a fairly lean operation and even our own union is a fairly lean operation compared to other union offices that I'm, that I'm familiar with. Um, I say that to, inter to, to, to basically say, I think that there's been times and there are times when there's a duplication of services between organizations, just like the conference really protects uh, employees on the local level. The union uh, serves as a buffer for us in, in areas. And so there's a real value to that. There's, there is challenging times in that we don't need some duplication of services though. And, um, you know, I, and so I think that that's an area that could be improved. There's been many discussions about that. Um, you know, if I'm just going to be really honest with you and, and, uh, you know, um, I think that you look at some of the conference lines that are drawn, uh, in our, in our division. And many of them were drawn at times when technology was different. And, uh, and I think that if we were to really have an honest conversation, uh, we could redraw some lines and, uh, and broaden the umbrella of protection and, and, you know, so to speak, and would probably save some funds in that regard as well. Those kind of things take a local constituency to do it, though. 
And many local constituencies aren't willing to do it. It's not like guys in, in our positions aren't ready to see those kinds of things, you know, but many local constituencies aren't willing to make those changes because they like the independence of having their own local conference. So what I think the next thing that could be improved and it's happening, you know, I see that leadership happening in our own, uh, own union. And uh, it's not something that everybody talks about a lot, but it's not like it's a big secret is that there has been collaboration across conference lines on different projects. Uh, for example, our conference, for example, was asked by the union to go serve as auditors for a week in one of our smaller conferences. And, um, and we went because they can't afford an auditor. They shouldn't have to buy an auditor to, to hire an auditor. Uh, and we went and in one week, I forget, we'd sent five people over from our conference in a week and um, did, I forget how many years worth of audits uh, for them and uh, saved, <laughs> wow, them, that's awesome. saved them a lot of money and uh, saved them not only a lot of money for that, but even into the future, because we'll probably do that again. And we've been having conversations within conferences um, to say, how can we collaborate more uh, if we, you know, if we're, you know, to say, hey, how can we do this across conference lines and quit worrying about, oh, I can't go here because it's across the conference line. And so I see a lot of that, more of that happening. And I see more of that that's going to be in the future. And I think that that needs to happen. See, what I hear behind everything that you're saying is, uh, you're talking about how a long time ago, these borders were drawn that, that um, didn't quite that might not as make make as much sense today. What I hear you saying is that you're you're forming a pretext to go to war with the opposing conferences, uh, so that you can take as many churches and as much as much uh, 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 territory as you can to enlarge your conference. That's what I hear you saying. Well, you know, the prayer of Jabez was very clear. He said, you know, Lord, enlarge my territory. And, <laughs> and so, you know, the prayer of Jabez is biblical. And I think we can follow that prayer uh, very, very faithfully. So yes, no, Catch it. you know, I, so how, how much of Canada are we taking? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually, so, we're, we're, we're wanting to, sh to expand South and take part of the Oregon conference. Tell my friends now. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> Dan Landry is a good friend of mine. So <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear this. This, is, this sounds like we get some exciting battles happening. Absolutely. In the it's, it's all <laughs> brewing. It's, it's all brewing. So, uh, but no, the, the, seriously, we've had good conversations with, you know, uh, a lot of the larger conferences, especially in this union. And, and if you know, you know, I'm sure you know about this union, for example, we have three conferences that are considered large and we have three conferences that are considered small. And, um, and we've, we've looked for ways that instead of saying, hey, we're going to redraw the lines because that's a real that's a real challenging constituency issue is how can we how can we collaborate? And I don't even know where that's going to go yet, but I, I really hope we can. And uh one area that we're doing right now that the union is uh, coordinating that uh, is saying, hey, we're going to send some evangelists. We're going to maybe a pastor will send over and say, hey, why don't you go to an evangelistic meeting in Alaska or, or Idaho or you know, somewhere and, and help another small conference that they won't have to pay uh, for it. And uh, it will give experience to some of our own people as well. So there's lots of areas that we can do. And there's, I think there's areas that we haven't even explored yet. That's one of those things that I think a lot of us don't really pay attention to because it doesn't affect our local church. Um, and so, you know, you don't hear about a lot of those those things happening. And, and I'm not saying that's even an issue. It's just you don't hear it. And so it's very easy to assume, well, what are they doing over there? Yeah. And so Correct. that's pretty cool. Here. 
Now, with the, you kind of brought this up. This is a very interesting question. And what I would really like is names of entities and specific people. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, we do have an imbalance of people in office buildings versus people in pastoral roles. That's, I think uh, it was at, the, at, at a division or GC level, there was a, I believe as a GC level, there was a study done and the amount of administrators were at least in that category versus pastoral. In some areas, it was like one-to-one, you know, it, it, very high. And so um, what what do you think has caused that? And what might, what are, I mean, even if you're willing to talk about it, what are some of the hard things that might have to be done to change that? Sure. You know, I, I don't remember, I remember seeing that report and I wish I um, had that report in front of me, but um if I remember right, that was a several, you know, that was a GC wide thing uh, study. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I don't see that as in a lot of the unions, you know, I'm not talking about union offices, I'm talking about union territories. I don't see as huge of an imbalance, frankly, in this division as I have seen in other divisions. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say that first, um, but I think the second thing is, is, and so I, I would say that first, I think that in the North American division, I think you see, well, I'm just going to stick with the NPUC. That's the one, I'm, that's what I'm familiar with. All right. I don't want to speak for the North American division. You can talk, <laughs> to, uh, talk to the conference, the, the division president and ask him those questions. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do believe that once again, when there's a duplication of roles, uh, you know, that needs to be addressed. And I think it should be addressed. I think it should be um done in a stewardship way. Uh, I don't believe the church is short of funds as far as the ability to gain funds. And some people say, well, we need to do that so we so we get more money into the church. I don't believe it's about funding. I believe it's about stewardship of the funds. Even if you had all the money in the world, you shouldn't spend it in a poor way. Um, yeah. I think that I've seen churches that you think don't have any money, but they come up with a grand vision and all of a sudden the money is there. So even if the, all the money were there in the world and we had 100% of people paying tithe, we still should be good stewards of funds and how it's used. Um, so I think the division, I, I think that the, the duplication of, of services is something that can be addressed. Um, and um, helping across conference lines, I think, can really help people do that. Um, and I think it's more than just about pastoral roles as well. If you just look at pastors versus the overall 500 employees that the Washington Conference has, it kind of lowers the, uh, the 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 ratio of conference people versus the number of employees you might have. Well, because this is an important recognition that I don't know if everyone knows, but because uh, we do have pastors and then all, all teachers, right. uh, at least at least most teachers are hired the let me say that differently. The vast majority of teachers with very few exceptions are hired through the conference. Am I correct on that? Correct. Yeah. And everybody that, everybody that, that works in the church, whether they're funded by a local church or whether they're not, or whether they're funded by the conference budget, they're all considered by the United States government. They're all considered an employee. That's why we, we provide support services for churches that, uh, you know, a church comes along and says, hey, we've got to let go of our administrative assistant. How do we do that? We ran out of money. And so we have to show them how to do that in a legal way. But as far as office buildings versus pastors and teachers, yeah, I think the ratio is too high. But if you look at it from a ratio of overall employees, it's not as high as you might think. That doesn't excuse the fact that we still should address duplication of services if there is. Um, And I think we should be willing to have that discussion. 
I'm looking at the at the uh, presentation right now, and I think in the NAD it was it was 0.9 administrators for every one pastor is what is what the study says. Um, and so obviously the the, the division's bigger than uh, North American can also consists of Latin America and and uh, Central American and uh, those areas yeah. too, which I, I I know is different. But um yeah, um here's a here's a big question that that is I think quite interesting to a lot of people um the washington conference is an out of compliance entity it's uh one of those conferences it's one of those bad conferences that the conference was that the general conference the big the big general conference was uh was trying to um i don't know the right word for i don't know if i have a good word for what they were trying to do discipline though i think is in essence the the big picture word um you know, it's one of those things that's really hard to to come to terms with overall. The issue, just in general, you know, whether you support it, you don't support it. Um, but how do you see remaining faithful to the overall vision of the Adventist Church and the overall, you know, structure and being part of the Adventist organization while being in a position of of noncompliance? Yeah. And I don't know if you want to describe. I don't know if you would like to describe what exactly makes our conference out of compliance. Sure. Well, first of all, you know, for those of you who are listening, um, we are not allowed to, um, and nor, you know, we're not doing ordination of women in this conference. So if that's, you know, if that's where some of your listeners jump to, we, we didn't, we're not doing that in this conference or in this union. Um, the areas that we have uh, voted to um, follow really has to do with some areas that, um, deal with women in ministry though. And one of the areas is, for example, is, is that, um, you know, it says in a lot of, in, in, in a lot of places that a woman in ministry is not allowed to serve as a conference president. And we have, we have voted that any, any person can serve as a conference president in this, uh, in this, in this conference. We've also voted to uh, allow women to officially plant churches, which is another area that an unordained person is not allowed to do. So those are some things we have voted. Those seem to me very missional oriented. And so we are staying in missional and it's something that we've done in our context, but we do not believe takes away from the gospel to the entire world. If you're gonna be really honest about the out of compliance, uh, those three words that uh, have ominous overtones, um, if you're really gonna think about it, I mean, I've sat on committees where uh, back at the North American Division and at the year-end meetings for uh, the GC and heard the reports for how many entities worldwide are out of compliance, just not in those areas. And uh, the, 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 the percentage of people that are out of compliance in financial areas is astounding, you know? And, uh, you know, when you, when you talk to some of those people back there, ask them that question. I, you know, just ask them, <laughs> ask them, you know, what percentage of entities are out of compliance, uh, you know, from a financial perspective and following the financial policies of the Adventist church, which I think are, are put there for our protection. And, um, and we're, we're not out of compliance in that area. We are, you know, we have some of the cleanest audits of, uh, of, of any kind in my career right now. I mean, I my hat's off to our treasury department. We have clean audits. We're 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 not doing anything shady. We're mm. we're sending all of our money forward, even to people that call us out of compliance. We're we're we're, we're doing all of those things, and um, and stuff like that. So, so I do believe that we can remain very faithful 
And, uh, and I'm not even blaming people who might be out of compliance in other areas because, you know, especially finances, because sometimes cultural differences take, take issue, even in the, how they handle their finances. And, and, um, and while I don't know the details, I just know the statistics of what they shared. Um, you know, I think that we have to allow a little bit of that um, cultural issue uh, take place as long as we're still focusing on the gospel to the whole world, we have a special message for for this way for this world, and uh, I believe that um, people can can do that and have slight differences of opinion and uh, and who can do that. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, that you can still be faithful to it, the over the overarching organization as a whole, while also acknowledging cultural differences in different cultural maybe different um, things are on, that are on the heart of different areas uh in the world if, if i'm hearing you correctly i would believe that's fairly that's fair yeah okay yeah if I you could, guys have any uh sean or anthony yeah yeah if i could i don't want to call it playing devil's advocate but because i don't want that to seem like you know it's a, a, attacking or but rather seeking to understand i think more your position doug and the position of the conference is um kind of looking at those uh just the issue of women's ordination in general, just curious how, how you would talk about, you know, you know, if there, if there's sort of a, uh, and you haven't, uh, you, you know, you haven't stated this exactly, but if there is sort of a feeling, which it sounds like from some of the moves that the conference has made towards allowing women to ch- plant churches and, um, cert- you know, the possibility of a female president, um, if there is sort of a conviction that that's the direction we need to move on, what are some of the things that sort of roadblocks that you see sort of stop stopping us from getting to the point where we get to a woman's ordination position, if that is indeed the, the, where the conference, you know, could see itself going? I'm not sure I totally understand your question, so uh, I'll take a stab at it. And if I don't, if I don't get there, let me know. Um, I said a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I, you know, I, in in re, in in, re, in reflecting on it, I I'm a very, to be honest with you, I'm a very much a guy who believes in organization, and I believe in our organization. I believe in our church, and uh, I don't want anybody to think that I don't believe in what the Seventh Day Adventist Church uh, teaches, uh, what they um, what they uh, have as a mission to our church for the last days, and I and I believe those I believe those things, and probably. Uh, you know, far more conservative than most people uh, would, uh, you know, by me saying that we, I believe in women in ministry, some people would probably say I'm not conservative. I'm actually far more conservative than most. Um, And I don't say that to brag. I'm just saying that's just kind of the core of who I am. You know, I'm a Midwesterner and I'm, I'm a pretty conservative Midwestern guy. Um, But I don't believe that God puts muzzles on people. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, uh, people can serve in ministry, whether they're um, uh, male or female. I believe that uh, people can serve in ministry, whether they get paid to do it or not. And I believe that people can, uh, you know, I, I love the illustration, for example, you know, if you go to Disneyland, I'm sure you've all been there at least once, or you know the story, everybody's considered a cast member, you know, the janitor is considered a cast member. Um you know, and the thing of it is, is you go on, you can Google and, and you can go on and, and look up Disneyland janitor 
and you look at the pictures of some of the things the janitor does you know some of them are trained to draw pictures in water on the sidewalk you know on a hot day they draw pictures of mickey mouse and and some of them are trained to play tunes with their feather dusters on the on the on the handrails i mean they do some amazing things why does a janitor do that because he's a he or she is a cast member and they're there to make people's visit to Disneyland as special as they possibly can. And I believe that the church is a priesthood of all believers and that everybody can draw a picture of Christ and everybody can have a, have a role to play to make somebody's life just a little bit better. You know, Galatians, the last chapter of Galatians says, you know, don't ever weary of doing good. You know, you will reap a harvest. Don't ever weary of doing good and even starting the family of faith, a family of believers, you know, in Galatians 6. And, um, and I don't believe that that is limited to, to a gender. I believe that's done for everybody. And um, anyway, I'm starting to preach a sermon here, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> it's powerful. Uh, you know, in my mind. So then what are, what are some of the roadblocks that then would say, well, we're just, we believe in this, we're doing it, we're going to start, you know, actually putting a stamp on ordaining women what like from an organizational standpoint because it's very easy for all of us outside of this to be like why not just do it you know if especially if you support it mm -hmm. or on the other side of things like there's no way that you should ever do something like that um that puts you you or anyone in leadership in a very awkward space of like well then what do i do yeah what what are some of the things that well, I, do block, believe, block I do that? believe there's a roadblocks and uh, you know one of the things that um I just have a lot of respect for um, our particular union has chosen not to have that discussion, and um, and I and I respect that, and I and I'm going to uh, follow that lead. Um, we don't even even without that, you know, we don't have the right to say we're going to lay hands on on Jesse Churchill, because Jesse Churchill is going to go through a process, and then we ask the union if we can and we, if we can. And uh, we have to we have to write a letter to the union saying these are the things you should know about Jesse Churchill and yada 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 and it's a form that we have to fill out it gets sent in and then they vote on it and so that is uh, you know so I just I'm just saying I or I respect that organization and we do that other unions have chosen to to go ahead and that's their right and I'm not you know I'm not going to um, I'm not going to get into other unions business I'm just going to stick with our own union and that's what we've chosen to do. And um, I respect that. It does not stop a woman right now in the Washington Conference or any other where, as far as I'm concerned, for them to be a pastor of a church, for them to share the gospel, whether they believe in women's ordination or not. And there's some women who don't, and that's okay too. And I think the thing that has been lost is sometimes we lose respect for somebody who might have a different view. Mm. And uh, we've politicized it way too much that if you if you believe this way, I lose respect for you. And I'm sitting here going, I'm going to respect male and female who, who believe in it. I'm going to respect male and female who don't believe in women's ordination because I just, I believe that that is what Christ asks us to do is to, to accept and believe and, and to respect a diversity of beliefs and the mission still can go forward, whether I have a belief in, in one way or the other. Hmm. Just as you talk about that, talking about respect on both sides, what, what, popped in my head was how, and, and this is my question, my concern for our churches, do you think we're moving in the right direction when it comes to not just unity, as that's been a big word in our church um, over the last five years or so since the last general conference session, but are we moving in the right direction towards 
good conversation and finding a common ground and working towards um, harmony in the church? Or, or are we starting to lean into the general population's attitude towards politics in general? Because it does seem, let's talk about larger politics, we've become more polarized. We've become more vocal on things like social media, on, on, on news outlets where we see what seems to be an even stronger divide than there's ever been on certain issues. And it seems like in some ways we've, uh, as a church, mirrored some of those sentiments and practices and, and rhetoric in our own churches. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, do you, do you think we're, as a, as a church at large, moving in a good direction with the, the conversations we're having? Or do you think we, we have a lot to work with? Uh, we have a lot of um, improving that we need to do there. Well, I've seen the same social media arguments, I'm sure that you have, uh, maybe not the same ones, but with the same tenor uh, of that. And, uh, and I do believe that, um, I don't know what it is about social media that uh, seems to give people permission to just be mean to each other. I don't get that because I've met many of the people who I've seen some of the stuff that they've written and they're pretty nice people in person, you know? And, but for some reason, when we're sitting behind a screen typing on the computer, we can become vile to each other. And it's really sad. Um, so I, I guess the answer to it is twofold. Uh, do I think that the church is reflective of the overall political um, milieu that we see? Um, I believe that it has, it has infiltrated the church. I've seen that. I get letters uh, telling, uh, uh, <laughs> telling on pastors, so to speak, and and whatever wow. wrong choices that they are supposedly. Have you ha have you gotten any on me yet? <laughs> uh, you know, I've got a whole file. It's about this thing. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he's got. <laughs> I, I have not. Five volumes, T ten yeah. terabyte hard drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, I, you know, I, so I, I've seen that. I, I get it, you know, for people that, you know, write in, you know, some of them is about me and my choices and, and uh, you know, I'm trying to be very respectful. So I think that I've seen that. The church at large, I've seen a lot of, uh, at least in a lot of the committees that I've been, I've seen a, I've seen a real desire to work together, frankly. I'm optimistic, you know, mm. in spite of the fact that what I see on a, sometimes a public persona uh, not from the church, not not from church officials, but just from you know, just from stuff you see on social media, and I and so I think it's a little bit of a two-sided story there, Sean, in that uh, I've seen that the really ugly side of it, but I've also seen a desire to say, hey, let's get together, let's figure out how to pray together, you know. I just heard it, you know, without saying any names, I saw you know some people I was on a conversation with just recently, some people that are in organizations. Um, uh, if you want to use the term higher than this one uh, and uh, the conversation that they were having amongst themselves. And I was encouraged by it. I really was. I was encouraged by it. Two opposing views, but two very respectful conversations that was alluded to. And I think there's, I think there's a real desire on, on, you know, to use the term conservative and liberal. I think there is a real desire to say, Hey, God's given us a mission. Let's focus on that. Um, and let's continue the conversation, uh, figure out how we can address some of these issues of, of uh, equity and, and um, uh, that kind of thing. But, and it's not going to be a long, it's not going to be for, um, it's not going to be a short conversation. I think it's gonna be a long conversation, but uh, I just recently, I should say I've been encouraged. I'll just say it that way. That's, you know? that's good because 
like you said, sometimes in the public, we don't always hear those stories. And so it's just helping, you know, the, the local church, the, the lay people, the people that make up the church, uh, just giving them a chance to see, like, it's not just the big headlines. I know, like, where our podcast started was in 2018 at the height of the annual council. I wouldn't call it a scandal, but it was definitely, like, more people on average were talking about Adventist politics than normal. Most right. time, the average church member's like, what's Adventist politics? Who cares? Uh, but there were more people than average talking about that. And, and we talked about that at the, the start of our podcast. And in some ways, it's smooth, not, not smooth over, but, but settled down. But in other ways, like with COVID, like you said, with something about social media, it's ramped up. We're spending less time in person talking to people relationship to relationship. And again, with social media, there can be many benefits, but it also creates a platform for this half anonymity, not full anonymity, but your name's there, your profile pics there. But there's something different about being in person in the same room and saying the same opinions and dissent. And there's a there's a certain thing that clicks in your brain to say, I need to be kind here and respectful and listen, because I'm right here eye to eye with this person versus when you're typing on a on a post or a thread, it something goes out the window. Right. And there's many people I've respected in many different positions that that's been the, the you know been the case. Um, so yeah, like you said, there's something about that that platform which has exponentially grown since COVID. Because where else can we can we meet and talk? Right. No, it's, it's, it's I think really, it's sad. Yeah. I was going to say I think I think that's what's powerful about the church, and it, it gives a space where we we have to be in relationship, and you know you can't say the same things you know, in online as you can in per, or you can't say the same things in person as you can online because you have to feel someone's experiences. Though, Sean, I will say that I believe that you're, you're just a mediocre person at best to your face <laughs> to say it right now. Um, <laughs> sorry, I love you. Uh, Doug, I, I just kind of wanted to ask you this question. This is, uh, three, the three of us are all under 30, um, which, you know, means that we, we know everything. We just, nobody, we just haven't had the chance to really like tell the world yet. You know? So, yeah. um, <laughs> no, actually it, it's, it, the question is you're in a, you're in a situation, you're in a position that, you know, you, someone explained it to me this way. Small organizations are kind of like speedboats. You can turn them quick. You can, you can pivot quickly and all that stuff. You get to, the farther you up, you get into an organization, it becomes kind of like a, you know, you, now you got a, a yacht and then you get like to a cargo ship where it's just gonna, it's going to take miles to turn. Right. How do you reconcile that kind of slow burn, the slow change, the, oh man, this is going to take years, not days, uh, with maybe, you know, having been a pastor or for those of us who are, you know, either church members or, or pastors who to a certain degree can change things a lot quicker. How, how do you handle the slowness of all of that at your, in your position? From a personal perspective, it can be very frustrating, you know, just to be honest, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I drive, I used to own a speedboat and I, I like to turn on a dime. I like to ramp it up and see how hard of a turn I could go in. I like the G-forces. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Um, you know, I, on the one hand, I think it's, it can be very frustrating. On the other hand, there's been times I'm really glad it moved slow because you learned as you turned. And, um, and instead of just making a, a snap decision, you like, wait a minute. This is not uh, this is not a good decision, and you have a chance to correct the turn before you get too far down the path. And so, there is there is um, there's a there's there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, and even though a multitude of counselors takes a lot longer to get to consensus, 
once you get to that consensus, a prayerful consensus, whatever the topic, whether it be women's ordination, and that's the thing, you know, we go back to what we were just talking about. If there's a prayer time, if, if people are really truly praying with each other, not just praying for each other, you know, pray for Sean that he'll mm. get his act together, pray for Anthony, that <laughs> whatever, you know, I mean, that's the way a lot of that you can pray for people to, to, to shape up because I have no problem. Yeah. Right? Or you can yeah. pray with people to say, how can we come to a better understanding of what of, of, of this? And let's really, truly open our hearts to each other and to God. And and maybe I'm wrong on, on, on a topic. And am I willing to accept that? And I think that's yeah. what happens when you do a slower turn versus let's just turn on a dime and uh, and make mm. this happen. You know, and I do believe there's things that we should turn on a dime for. I mean, I'm grateful for COVID, to be honest with you, uh, and yeah. because because some of the churches had to turn on a dime and do some amazing things that they didn't even know they could. I mean, we have a church in this conference that didn't know they could have a stream. Well, they knew, but they never had a streaming service. And they put up a streaming service and had two baptisms of people that just started watching it. They didn't have a lot of bells no way. on wow. their streaming service. They didn't have any bells and whistles in their streaming service, if I was going to mention, to be honest with it, you know, but the pastor called me and said, yeah, we had two people that, you know, started watching online. And uh, one of them was from California and drove all the way up here to be baptized from California, you know, Wow. one of our smallest churches in one of our smallest churches. So kind of turns on a dime we should be able to do because that's ministry related and boom, we boom, you know, we can do those kind of things. Other things that have, you know, a lot far-reaching concepts or con- ideas. I think the slow turn is actually better. You know, hmm. I I don't like it, but it's wise. <laughs> it's like it's that's the hard. I don't like hard I don't like part. it half the time either because I if if, if anybody <laughs> really knows me, I'm somewhat of an impatient person. So uh, there, that's, that's. But see, that's that's the dirt on. That's me. helpful to understand. That's helpful to understand, especially for I think for a lot of us at, at other levels, is to kind of have the 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 humanness, the, the to to have someone who who is frustrated about, yeah, oh, man, I wish these things would go faster, but also someone who understands that this this is good. There is goodness to this, and uh, it can be very hard. I think for a lot of us as we look at organizational structures and just be like, oh man, like this is just slow. It's it's, uh, you know, what is the use? What's the purpose? But that's kind of why we wanted to talk and sure. ask some of these questions. So, yeah. So thank you, Doug. I, we really appreciate. Sorry, just I cut you off. I, I was going to say that's, yeah, go for it. I think that's really powerful what you shared, Doug, especially about like praying not only for each other, but with each other. I think that's really strong. And I feel like it, that's so, as Jesse was saying, like, it's so humanizing. I'm so like, what an honor. Thank you for coming on the, the podcast just to be able to, because I think someone like you in your position, it's when you're when you're just a leader i think sometimes you don't get humanized and i think even for me i mean we all grew up in the same conference and so we knew who you were and you know and have interacted and and stuff like that but i think i remember just to share a quick personal story when i was uh at my first church in anacortes washington back when i was in anacortes and washington conference uh as a local church hire and you came one sabbath to I, yeah, you came once Sabbath to church. I compl- like I did not know at all, and I was preaching that week. And I don't know if you knew this, but I was not feeling confident about my sermon that Sabbath. And as soon as you walked in, I was like, "Oh no, this is the worst. The worst. <laughs> this is the worst weekend for Doug Bing to show up." But then afterwards, you you came up and shook my hand and you said, "I appreciate your sermon," and I, I was really honored by that. And uh, so yeah, I, I think just 
thank you so much for coming on the podcast because I feel like this opportunity to humanize you and demystify as we've talked about you know some of the the uh the the office you know the dark rooms or whatever like I think this is thank you yeah yeah. Well, we're pretty we're pretty normal people here in the office. We really are. <laughs> yeah, my wife works there, so I I hope you are. Uh, but, <laughs> well, yeah. So thank you, Doug. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We thank you. Thank you for your service in in the in the positions that you have already been in, like pastoring and ministerial and vice president, now president. And uh, we we all will vote for you for GC president. So twenty twenty eight. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, don't know. Uh, I made yeah. made it up. I have no aspirations as we talked about that. <laughs> no aspirations. God bless you guys. Well, thank you thank so you much for uh, the time. And uh, we love you guys. Thanks a lot. So that was our conversation with Doug Bing. I hope that that was a helpful and maybe a little bit more enlightening conversation surrounding the conferences in our uh, church structure. Now, if you are interested in giving us feedback or connecting with us, go to Instagram or Facebook at Seeking What They Saw. Go to our website, Seeking SDA, and you can also give there. Again, this is a uh, helpful thing for us. Not We're not in this to make money, but a helpful way for us to continue supporting uh, our website and, and, uh, and our podcast storage space and beyond. So if you want to give, you can go there. As always, we'll see you in the next episode.